sometimes people might not want to start with the small goals, but really I think it's a very valuable place to start because it leads you to those really big things you want to take on. And with a good base behind you, you're, you're going there and getting there in a really strong way. I'm Dr. Mark Rowe and welcome to my podcast, In the Doctor's Chair. As a family physician, my expertise is supporting people in the areas of positive health and lifestyle medicine. Join me in conversations that share life lessons, health habits, and leadership practices, focusing on positive psychology, lifestyle medicine, and ways that enable you to live with more vitality on purpose. Appreciating that when it comes to your vitality, that everything is so interconnected. Episodes will air weekly, and you can find me wherever you listen to your podcasts. And of course, on my website, drmarkrow.com. As a practicing family doctor with expertise in lifestyle as medicine, my purpose is to encourage and support you in terms of positive health, personal growth, and all things well-being. As I say, to never stop starting. Each month on a live webinar, I teach learning by doing and learning by being. The why and the how of health-enhancing habits, giving you the science as well as support strategies to live with more vitality. I'd like to invite you to join my self-development club to learn more and to sign up, visit drmarkrow.com. So I'm really delighted to welcome Jane Abernethy to the podcast today. Jane is the Chief Sustainability Officer at HumanScale, where she works to create the most sustainable products possible and really to instill a culture of sustainability as a fundamental way of operating and being in the world. Under Jane's leadership, HumanScale has been recognized as the first manufacturer to achieve the Complete Living Product Challenge and is a founding member of the Net Positive Project. Jane has also taken the ambitious goal of having a net positive impact. Jane, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. Can we start off, Jane, by just asking you, you know, what brought you into this area of sustainability, the climate a healthier future, you know, your vision and your obvious passion and commitment commitment in this area? So I, I get this question often enough, and I don't have a specific point in time or a very specific source to point to. Sometimes I feel like it's, it's like asking a musician why they like music, like you just do a little bit. But I can, can point to some possible um, routes, like my, I grew up in Saskatchewan, and, and for summer vacations, we would always go canoeing, and we would spend, you know, a week in the wilderness. And so I probably had access to more nature and spent more time in nature than maybe some people do and, and did. And I think the other thing is that for me is um, when I think of sustainability, it seems just very pragmatic. It's a little bit like choosing to manage our finance, finances and and pay attention to whether we're spending more than, than we're earning each month. It's, you know, you've got resources that are available to you. And if you don't manage them well, then later on, you might be in a situation that you don't really want to be in. So to me, there's also a really pragmatic, you know, aspect of sustainability of just making sure these are all our shared resources. Let's make sure that they're going to continue to be around for us. I mean, I'm, I'm very in, into a sort of an integrated, holistic form of self-care that includes, you know, mind, body, emotion, spirit you know, underpinned by a strong sense of purpose and, of course, connected to the environments we, we spend our time in. And for me, it makes sense intuitively that, you know, caring for the planet 
is is an expanded form of self-care, really, that mm-hmm. to really take care of yourself from a health point of view also requires you to take better care of the planet. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we think of all the, any food that you're going to eat, any air you're going to breathe, any water or liquid that we're taking in, it's all coming from the rest of the planet. And we, we're part of the whole ecosystem. So we do depend on, on that for providing everything that we need to, to nurture ourselves. So in terms of this you know, living product challenge and and becoming a founding member of the Net Positive Project. Can you talk to me about, you know, how that's coming to be for you? When I started leading sustainability at human scale, one of the first things that I did was have a lot of conversations to talk with our executives and our stakeholders around what does it mean for us to be sustainable? You know, how are we going to know what we've got there? What are we actually aiming for? Um, And then around early 2014, we settled on with, with blessing from our CEO, Bob King, that we would aim to basically leave the world better off as we operate and manufacture. So we want the world to be better because we're here. Some other ways we talk about that is doing more good than harm or being net positive. And it was a really aspirational vision. We didn't know anyone else in the world who had done this or even was taking this on at the time. And so there wasn't really a clear way of measuring when you'd achieve it. Or what exactly do you need to do to say, yes, we know that you're doing more good than harm or that we're having a net positive impact. So we did find the first few years, we were just kind of working in that direction, a little bit like how you cross a desert and you know, you take one step and you take the next step and eventually you're going to get, you know, roughly where you're trying to go. Um, And then as we were working towards this vision, this, you know, vision for sustainability that was quite inspiring, but not as specific as we wanted it to be, the Living Product Challenge came out as a framework for evaluating whether a product had a net positive impact. Now, that's not our whole company. We make a lot of products. So that became a framework for how we look at our products. And it was nice to have, you know, NGOs and academics work through how would you quantify that? How would you calculate it? How would you audit it? How would you, you know, prove that this is actually the case or or how would you uh, measure how well you're doing? Then the Net Positive Project was sort of an extension of that which was, um, it's a collaboration between academics, NGOs, and some other um, manufacturers to align on what the definition is of net positive for a whole organization. Uh, we really wanted to make sure this doesn't become another term that people use loosely and becomes another greenwashing word. We wanted it to really mean something very, very specific. So it's been working with those folks to make sure when we're making claims that their back end of it is really well thought through and that it stands up to scrutiny. You know, Jane, I think that's such an important point, this, this idea of greenwashing, because I think what people want is authenticity. They want a genuine commitment and real evidence of, of positive change as opposed to some sort of just window dressing. And I think that can cause a lot of confusion for people. Would you agree? Yes, definitely. Definitely. It's it's on the outside, um, receiving all the messages of uh, about sustainability. Sometimes it's hard to know which ones are valid and which ones mm. are not. The allowed ones aren't always the most impactful ones, mm. like as far as making the amount of good in the world. Sometimes some companies do a little bit of good and really spend a lot of time marketing about it and, and mm. touting that very loudly. So I I always think if you're looking at messages, uh, just if people are, are thinking about greenwashing, you know, if the claims are very vague, if it's just green or sustainable, but it doesn't tell you more than that, that's maybe a sign that there might not be much to it. If they're third party verified, that's usually a better sign as well. If they can give you a bit of history and a little bit more window into how did that happen, you know, it's always nice to, to understand a little bit better. So how far along the road of this journey of sustainability and a net positive impact have you and human scale gone so far? Well, last year, 2021, we had 
26 of our products certified climate positive. They're also water positive and energy positive. So they all met the living product challenge. And that represents around 60% of the products we sold that year. So it's it's more than half of our products are are you know leaving the world better off for climate energy and water. Um, and of course, we're always expanding to to um, do that with more products and and we would like eventually for our entire company to have a net positive impact. but we're we're making some huge strides mm, clearly. And you know, what are the main barriers to change? Because you know, I see a great analogy between the really positive change you're bringing about uh, with your organization, human scale, and the change that individuals can sometimes be challenged by if they're trying to improve their health. I mean, there's an interesting parallel there. Yeah. And I think some of the challenges will be very similar. Like one of the biggest challenges is to get people to not just rely on the habits that they've already had, but to really consciously make a decision as they're moving forward. Often, the first reaction is that, oh, no, it's going to be too hard, too expensive, too something. It's not going to be possible. And I think once you start breaking it down to say, okay, that's right. If you do it this way, which is maybe what you were picturing as a first round, maybe it's not possible. But let's be creative around how we try to find that solution. And let's try to just um, find a better solution that is potentially more feasible. And then let's also work on changing our habits. And I think that that, to me, has been really key. When I think about my personal health and the way I try to approach health, and then also how I've tried to implement sustainability within the company, it's really been looking at like the systems and how, you know, what's already operating, working within that, trying to find what are the small lever points that are going to make the biggest amount of change. So when, you know, when, when one change is already happening, let's take a look at how that's happening. Maybe we can make it in a smarter way. Like if we're going to open a new factory, let's take a look at how that's going to happen. What, you know, set it up to be more sustainable from the beginning. But but even just the habits that we, we develop when we're going through procurement and, and getting new materials and the quality questions that we have to ask, developing habits of including sustainability. And I think it's a little bit like developing habits of including some of the considerations of health. After a while, it becomes second nature and it just becomes how you are during the day. For us as a business, it becomes such second nature. It's how we operate as a business now. Well, that's what Aristotle, the wonderful philosopher said. He said, in life, we make our habits and then our habits make us. You know, we're all, we're all mm-hmm. creatures of habit and mm-hmm. fundamentally our habits can be health enhancing or health depleting. And that applies to sustainability, I think, as well. I love your analogy about the the leveraging impact of small positive change. It's something I'm very keen on in, in the health idea. What's the smallest thing you can start to do to make a positive impact in that direction? One thing I've also noticed is starting small might feel uninspiring or it might feel like you're not doing very much if you just start with something small. But I really have noticed that starting small and very manageable and then actually succeeding mm. gets a lot of momentum. You know, when you go to take on that next thing, you can take on something bigger. You can bring more people with you. It's really building on those successes is so um, I found it a really effective way to make change, both in kind of changing personal habits, but then even through the company as well. Sometimes people might not want to start with the small goals, but really, I think it's a very valuable place to start because it leads you to those really big things you want to take on. And with a good base behind you, you're, you're going there and getting there in a really strong way. And I think those those small changes, as you said, when they do succeed and you see the evidence that you've made, you know, a small little meaningful impact, it does build that momentum. And, you know, it has to be our hope that eventually we, we'll achieve this sort of tipping point where, you know, you'll create kind of a, a momentum in society to move towards a more sustainable future. Yeah, I think that makes perfect sense. And and um, I would see that as 
and more sustainable in our outward actions, but it's also taking care of ourselves as well. So, mm-hmm. so I think that those are things that those are both very closely connected. You can't be there for the planet and actually making a difference if you're not actually taking care of yourself and and living a healthy lifestyle. And and you know if you're not at your your strongest, you're not able to make the most impact. So it does seem very connected, both making change in the world, but then also building that strength inside and taking care of yourself. Absolutely. But I think change starts on the inside first with a a change in our mindset and a change in our attitude uh, towards, you know, that most priceless of all assets, which is our health. What are your own staying healthy practices, Jane? I think um, I could boil it down to, well, first of all, I don't really think about it in those terms. They're just sort of things I generally do. But when I have to stop and think about it in those terms, I would boil it down to probably sleeping, eating, and moving. Mm-hmm. And so sleeping, I've started to keep as a really high priority, um, both with, you know, consistency with timing and not looking at devices and screens after a certain time. Mm-hmm. And, and just keeping it enough of a priority. When I was younger, I sort of didn't realize it was so important. <laughs> um, you get wiser with age. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And with eating, I try to eat, you know, avoid uh, processed foods and refined sugars and and all sugars if I can. Um, not absolute, but just kind of generally. And um, I do try to eat a wide variety of different foods, preferably um, seasonal foods that what's what's local and in, in season. And um, we tend to cook our own and and you know buy the raw ingredients and just cook from there. So that that I do find I, I enjoy as well as it's um, I feel good about the the health aspect of that. And then for moving, um, I guess it just comes down to a few different habits that I've tried to make. Like I won't, I do, try not to get into bed without having done core exercises. I try to stand up about every hour or so. Mm. And, and I have a window just outside. Uh, you know, my computer is fit right next to the window. So I, every few minutes will stop and look at trees that are relatively far away. So my eyes get a bit of a break. So it's just a number of little habits like that, that um, hopefully will help me out in the long run. Oh, there's no doubt they will. I mean, it's really interesting, you know, how you prioritize sleep eating good food and then of course movement is medicine and it's so important to move regularly not to sit down for too long so you can break the whole the corrosive stress hormones like cortisol have on us and I was just thinking there when you describe your room with a view you know looking out uh, your window at nature about Roger Ulrich and uh, the professor of, of environmental psychology who has shown how you know looking at a scene of nature can be so incredibly therapeutic and, and good for us um, and as you said then to break the the, the strain of, of looking at a computer screen all the time so it sounds like you've got uh, good health pretty sussed out there, Jane. So that's great. Yeah, hopefully. Because, <laughs> you know, authenticity is great and it's it's great when you're walking the walk. So I do think it, it gives you so much more credibility as a leader when you're talking about sustainability and, 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 and product design and development and, and the future of our planet, when you can link that back to the importance of taking good care of yourself as well. So if you're looking back, Jane, now, what advice... And I have no idea what age you are, and I'm not going to ask you. What, what advice would you give to your 21 year old self? Oh, just last year? Okay, well, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's. I would say, let's see. There's a lot of things I could tell my 21 year old self mm. that I probably knew at the time and couldn't um, internalize without actually going through the process of living life. So there's, you know, times when. Like I would tell myself not to worry, for example, and I think I knew at the time not to worry, but until I'd really had some things that, uh, you know, a heartbreak and losing someone close to me and so, you know, some really hard things to go through, then 
then once you go through a few things that are really challenging, then you realize that life does go on and mm-hmm. it's really impossible to deal with in that moment, but it does get better and you do go get past it. And and so eventually the things that you were worrying about now seem just, it just falls away. So I think, you know, some of those things do just come with, with time and you can't shortcut them by, by giving advice. But the one piece maybe that might, uh, that I could maybe talk through with my old self would be, I used to have this impression that, let's see, it's a little bit abstract, but I, I had an impression that if you, that there was a conflict between having ambitious goals and high expectations on the one hand and being content and satisfied on the other hand. And it le- led to, without me even thinking about it, it led to an assumption that if you really celebrate success, then it might stop me from working hard and have future success. So the outcome of that is that you really never get to enjoy the fruits of your labor because you always are immediately focusing on the next, or at least for me, I'm immediately focusing on the next project and the next success. As soon as you've achieved it, it's out of your mind kind of. And I think over time, I realized that in fact, if we're starting from a place of already being good good enough, already having enough, it's a stronger foundation to come from and you can reach even further. Mm. It's a bit like building on that success that we were um, talking about earlier, that building on success as opposed to feeling the lack of it as a motivator, it's a lot more powerful, it's more effective, and it doesn't come with a whole bunch of baggage like anxiety and a lot of negative feelings that could come with the driving after success from a point of view of lack as opposed to a point of view of wholeness. So I think I I would try to make that more succinct, (laughs) but that's ultimately maybe something I could tell my old self to say, you know, really enjoy those successes and, and it is good enough, there is enough as it is, come a place of enough and then go for more. I think that's really beautifully put, the idea that, that that we are enough, that that creates a sense of appreciation and abundance and also mm-hmm. gives you the foundation to work towards your goals and work towards your dreams and but do it from a from a place of knowing that that you are enough and knowing that it's not about scarcity or or that you're always chasing um, and then as you said to to be able to celebrate the the, the moments celebrate the, the the small little achievements along the way and, and and never never forget who you are yeah and i think your use of the word abundance and scarcity was really that that really gets to the crux of it coming from a place of abundance of abundance is um is really a place of strength and coming from a place of scarcity is, is not as strong you're clearly a very grateful person, Jane, that's coming across to me in, in this conversation. Is gratitude something that, that's important for you? Yeah. And it's something that I actively try to cultivate. It does come a bit naturally, but I do actively try to cultivate gratitude. So I do before eating dinner, which is kind of the, the last meal of the day, I do you know stop and think through what I'm grateful for in that moment. And most days I'll start by, by the day by writing out, before I do any work, I'll write out three things that I'm grateful for. And they don't have to be big things. They can be very small, but they do have to be not just something I feel lucky about, but something I feel really grateful for. Mm. And they can't be the same things every day. So often they're very small, like somebody let me in, you know, when, you know, let me turn when it was their turn to, I don't know, whatever in traffic, or it could be, you know, because they can be very small things, but enough that it just kind of puts me in that mindset of being grateful. Yeah. And it's such a wonderful habit to not only dissolve toxic stress, but to really build that inner feeling of of contentment and and well-being. And it's a great way to, because every day we get up, I mean, you know, we're hardwired for survival and uh, fear detection, etc. And of avoiding uh, danger. 
And when you start your day with gratitude, it just switches you into into Vegas, into the parasympathetic nervous system where your mindset expands and you can become much more creative and, you know, everything can get better. I didn't know the the science behind it, but it seems to be working. So (laughs) I appreciate hearing how that works. There's a a growing uh, body of science showing the the benefits of expressing gratitude. And it's great to feel grateful. Of course, gratitude is is a positive emotion. But when you write it down, as you described so, so well, well there, you really express it. And of course, what you express in, in written form, you, you tend to impress in your heart and in your mind. So you're getting all the compound benefits there as well. Jane, looking forward, if you were to look something I often ask people, your best possible future self, looking say five years into the future, what do you hope might be different then compared to now? And that might be in terms of either in terms of your own personal life or in terms of your professional dreams and goals and aspirations in terms of sustainability or both. Yeah, there are a lot of wonderful things going on right now that I'm very excited about. So that uh, I hope keep going, but that's not what would be different. It's funny when I think into the future, I tend to think about who do I want to be as an 80 year old? (laughs) So if you want um, to tell me that, that's fine. (laughs) I hope that when I'm an 80-year-old, I'll be wise and compassionate. So I guess in five years from now, I hope to have grown in that direction, you know, a little bit more. So by the time I'm 80, then that can be, you know, very strong in me. (laughs) And, you know, as they say, what gets measured gets improved. So what what would be the evidence you could give yourself in five years' time that you're moving in that direction? Yeah, that's a great question. I've never thought about trying to measure wisdom or compassion. I honestly have no idea. Well, <laughs> if you have any suggestions, I'm definitely open. Well, I think never stop asking que- interesting questions. You know, I think it's so, that might be a question to write down and simply just reflect on over time. I th- I'm a great believer in giving yourself quiet mm-hmm. time just to think and just to be. And intuitively, I think we always know the answers. Uh, they will emerge mm-hmm. if you give yourself an opportunity and give yourself some quiet time, some stillness. And of course, in life, it's not about having all the answers. And I certainly don't have all the answers either. But it's always useful to ask yourself questions. How can I become more compassionate? How could I become wiser? How could I choose to make some small positive steps that might impact on the planet in a positive direction? You know, these are interesting questions to ask and answer for ourselves in our own words, in our own ways. I suppose the other thing that comes to mind is for my 80-year-old self would be, I hope I'm living in a world and, you know, five years from now, being in this direction as well, that's become more and more sustainable, that people have more connection to nature, that that drives even subconsciously the way that they're interacting with the world and the way they're making decisions. And that, um, you know, some of the systems that we have in place right now might be changed to be improved. And and we don't see things like, you know, some of the systems we have in place right now are, are pretty destructive and, and hopefully we'll be going on a different path and being a lot more regenerative. That wouldn't be just me. That's more global. It's more of a life overall, how people are interacting. I know. And I would hope for that too. You know, you'd hope for more authenticity in the world and more access to knowledge. And because I think knowledge is power. And I believe if people have more knowledge and more opportunity, they can make, make better choices and decisions when it comes to sustainability and when it comes to um, their own health and the health of the planet. Jane, I think you're a very resilient person. And can I ask you to give our listeners Three suggestions for a resilient mind. Being mindful throughout the day. So that um, really noticing what's actually happening in the present moment doesn't take a lot of time, but it makes a big difference for 
you know, being having that authentic connection with people, having that authentic experience, it can stop us from ruminating on things we might be anxious about that aren't mm-hmm. actually happening at that moment. So being mindful throughout the day would be one. I think maybe taking stock at the end of the day could be quite helpful, like, um, uh, you know, journaling or whatever that might look like. Just, it, or it doesn't even have to be at the end of the day. Whatever's the right cadence could be at the end of the week. It could be, but just a regular sort of taking stock and, and evaluating um, would be a second one. And then I think a third one um, for a resilient mind would say um, exercise. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm not going to know any of the science behind this, but um, it does seem like it makes such a world of difference uh, if I'm exercising regularly um, on how my mind is working, how well I can focus, the clarity that I have, um, and how deeply I sleep, uh, how how much emotions hit me, all of that. So I guess sleep and exercise, maybe if I could put those two together, is just really important for keeping our mind working very well. In my opinion, I don't have any science to back that up. <laughs> well, I think you're 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 on the right track. So being mindful um, throughout the day, maybe keeping a written journal, and and then having health enhancing habits like plenty of uh, movement and exercise underpinned by a good night's sleep. I mean, that sounds that sounds pretty a, a pretty concrete advice uh, to build a resilient mind there, Jane. Thank you very much. And and finally, for you, Jane, what's the meaning of life? Yeah, this is one that I spent many, many years thinking about. And then I eventually ended up reading a book by uh, Viktor Frankl, um, oh. which I think was called Man's search for meaning and that resonated with me to say that um you know basically we need to find our own purpose and and in some ways and it's been many years since i read that book but what i took away from it might hopefully be similar to what was actually written in it um is that if you think of what actually gets you up in the morning that's your purpose in life and that's the meaning of life for you um so we need to find meaning uh, in taking purpose and responsibility for ourselves and for other human beings and then the other Sort of an expansion of that, or another thought I wanted to bring into this is I'm I'm studying biomimicry at the moment. Bio what? Biomimicry, which by its definition, biology and, and mimicking is is actually learning from the biological world. It's sometimes the clear examples we can see, like Velcro was developed, you know, because um, an engineer was hiking in the Alps and had burrs stuck to his his clothes and realized that they used these little hooks and then developed Velcro, for example. So we can we can learn strategies from the biological world the you know we've there's been life on the planet on, on earth here for around 3.8 billion years there are organisms all around us that are doing amazing things that we can't even dream of at the moment um and so we i think need to be a little bit humble and be willing to to learn from them to see how do they do some of these amazing things uh in the sort of discussion in biomimicry there's um an idea that there are basic principles that all organisms tend to follow that support life. So it's really life creating the conditions that are conducive to life. So I think that um, that would be something that does drive me for a, as a sense of meaning is trying to create more, create the conditions that are conducive to life much the way all the other organisms on the planet do. Well, Jane, I couldn't agree with you more. Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, one of the greatest books probably of all time, and I've read it at least twice, and it's such an inspiring read. And then secondly, you talking about, you know, creating the environment for, you know, for life and for more health enhancing environments, I suppose, is what you're saying. I think that's that that's a wonderful way to end our podcast conversation together. Jane, it's been wonderful having you in the doctor's chair. Keep leading. 
keep inspiring and keep being a true authentic exemplar of possibility in terms of uh, creating a more sustainable future for all of us. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you. Thank you for listening to my podcast in the doctor's chair. For further resources to support you to live with more vitality, please visit my website, drmarkrow.com.